What is up, everyone? It is me, Albert, and welcome to this show where we're going to be discussing Avatar. Okay, it's going to be a fun time. Um, I'm Albert. I host this show, which is the Albert Kessler podcast, but when it's topic-specific, it becomes also the Avatar podcast, the Star Wars podcast, the Dune podcast, etc. But, folks, um, I had to kind of pull everyone in uh, at 685 days away from the release of Avatar 2 and um, to kind of almost reintroduce the show a little bit because it has been a while since episode one, uh, which of the, you know, Avatar podcast. Um, it'll never not be a teensy bit confusing, the idea that I do the main show and then republish them later as um, separate shows. But uh, I really do have like really wide ranging and in-depth kind of interests. And I am so um, resoundingly over, over, like all encompassingly um, in love with, with Avatar and with the, especially the people who are creating it over in New Zealand right now um, and in the US and everywhere else around the world working on effects and that kind of tireless work that's been going on. So, um, but yes, yeah, so I've, I've brought out all of my Avatar books. This is my, uh, The Art of Avatar right here. Um, and I have my uh, program, which I'll tell you a quick story about this one. Um, I'm going to um, keep the chat like a little bit to the side a little bit and then maybe jump in uh, if anyone had any kind of Avatar-relevant questions. Um, with this one, I went to see, uh, in 2017, uh, the uh, performance, uh, The Last Flight, uh, or actually, no, The First Flight, uh, but it was the last performance of that in, in Sydney, Australia. And um, uh, I we went, and it was beautiful. Um, and I don't know, there was maybe some, like, personal life stuff happening where we had to leave very quickly um and i hadn't picked up a program yet so i we had literally gotten back to the hotel and everything and like basically almost getting ready for bed and i just had this thing of like i need i need to get a program you know it's like i have to um because i knew that you wouldn't be able to like i somehow had this sense that it's like it's going to be difficult and to find one and so we, uh, I, I come up with some excuse, and then I just let uh, Ray and uh, my mom-in-law to be um, know that. Oh yeah, you know, I, I just have something to go and get. I drive all the way back, like, like at least thirty minutes or something from the hotel to the venue. I park again. I get out. I run up to the stall, which they're just about to like fully close down. Um, Although, well, there was still, I think they were still seeing some, some people were still like trailing out because it was, there was a lot of people. Um, and I picked one up and there may have been a fight later about me going to do that. But I'm very, very grateful I did because it's one of my most cherished um, books here. It's very beautiful, very nice production value, you know, all the different kind of uh, information about the tribes. I'll just read one. Why not? So the clown, uh, clan Talkami. This one here, like that. So I don't know if people um, uh, remember uh, from watching the pro uh, like the performance. Uh, the special seed of the second sacred object in the prophecy comes from the jungle where Tsial lives among her people, the Talkami. These gentle people possess a great skill that they have refined over many generations. They combine elements found in nature to make powerful potions and remedies. Where most see a beautiful forest full of plants, flowers, and trees, the Taokami see a great collection of ingredients and recipes, each with its own special powers and virtues. With this skill, they make the tranquil seed. Breaking the kernels of this seed releases a smoke that can calm the wildest animal. So, beautiful, wonderful, lovely um, uh, little collection of Lord Tidbits and then also the production of, you know, Cirque du Soleil. What a beautiful dream come true, you know. Um, very, very stoked that they actually realized that and um, did it masterfully as well. Uh, one takeaway from from it when Ray and I and my mom-in-law-to-be went to see it was that it was it was it was a an extension of Avatar. It was more on the Avatar side than the Cirque du Soleil side, which makes perfect sense because 
it's something where Cirque du Soleil came in to perform it. So it was marketed, obviously, as a Cirque du Soleil show, but it was more, honestly, of just like a big stage play. So there wasn't that much circus circusry going on. And, and I uh, used to do contortionism and like I do still do some stretching and like backbends and um, flips and stuff. You know, uh, it's 2020 kind of weighed on me a bit, so I, I ended up like just keeping the practice indoors much. But I think, especially with the 2021 going as good, good as it's going with like vaccines and stuff, I think uh, the UK is 12% vaccine, which is a fucking so rad. It's like we're not even in, out of January, so that's so cool. Um, I'll probably be doing cartwheels throughout the year for sure. Um, this one I picked up from the uh, uh oh by the way for the listeners yeah so i've so far shown as in people audio only uh the art of avatar um took the first light uh the program of the show uh this one uh, back in 2014 or 15 uh ray and i were at a um book fair and i just saw it had to pick it up i'll read a little page why not um and this is how detailed they get so it's it's really honestly like item by item um extremely as i as i put in my op-ed which i'll read from uh, in a bit um ultra detailed world which i love so banshee q harness so function bridal system to hold the navi q and uh, which is the, the the braid with the neural link cord as well braided in there um as in the braids kind of protect it you know uh yeah so bridal system to hold navi Q and Banshee antenna out of the way of rider and weapons. Navi name, Ewate. Personal name, Tansei Matta. Okay. Uh, size, uh, various depending on size of Banshee and rider. Materials and construction, tightly woven tensile fibers, plant sinew and leather, constructed over a period of months. All Navi must construct a personalized harness for their Banshee after they have bonded. The harness is used to keep the bonding cues in a rearward direction for quick and easy access. The Banshee antenna is interlaced with the Navi cue, which seeds the Navi antenna to form a neural bond. The Navi and Banshee are then able to fly in perfect coordination. The harness is called Ewate, personal name, and Tansei Makta. This translates roughly as the love of Ewa's embrace is gifted to the rider's name. This is an acknowledgement of the beauty of connection of connecting with the consciousness of another living creature, which as a banshee, such as a banshee or dire horse. So in here and there with the, our avatar kind of conversations we'll have over the next however, however long, I'll just jump in and read like tiny little tidbits from that. And uh, hopefully as well, um, you know, another source book that'll come out to kind of discuss all the new, the new um, locales and, environments and creatures remember like that's also a huge part of why um these films have taken as long as they have is because they're ambitious they are granular they are real world feasible um this is which is my term to say that um with an engineer's mind james cameron he he thinks through stuff which a lot of filmmakers just wouldn't they would like they'd be like okay as long as it good, looks good in cg then um, I don't really care about how it would support its own weight or how this joint would articulate logically and where this equipment would be stored, you know? It's world building to a level of authenticity that a good 80% of it won't actually really show up. And you might say, oh, self-indulgent. Well, no, it's it, it lends authenticity, which amplifies and, um, you know, signal boosts. Uh, it just overall improves the artistry itself, you know? So in that sense, it it provides the art with a quality and a level of groundedness that is per like perceived and felt when watching the film. So that makes it valid and that gives it, it's very unique. I mean, it's it's the same level, like, like with my patterns, it's not that comparable, but like I've had patterns that have taken, um, like, the one that took like a month to do, Roughly, and there is a quality to it. It's called metamorphogenesis, which is the design I did. And there's a quality to it, which I know that it I would not have, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be as it, like it wouldn't give the same effect as it does if I hadn't spent that long on it. It just, it's an aesthetic quality that develops um, over time. 
and just like the harness that you know i just talked about it's like and as you know isn't isn't a dodge everywhere it's like the most worthwhile things um build up over time like uh you know mountains like they didn't just appear it was a process called orogeny um uh o-r-o-g-e-n-y and that's how mountains are made like over millions of years so and how rock solid they are you know so and i suppose this will lead me into my op-ed about how kind of just peaceful and at peace and chill the avatar kind of community is compared to a few others so but anyway here's the last book the making of avatar uh by jody duncan and lisa fitzpatrick and i'll just read a page why not okay I'll make it a nice one uh, the building of these digital assets which would number in the thousands was a project that would consume the virtual art department for nearly two years Though these assets would not be rendered out to their final photorealistic look at this point, they were structurally accurate representations of the CG models that would, eventually, come out of Weta Digital in their final shots. By the late fall of 2006, production had gathered at least some of the stuff, digital assets, technical hardware, and applicable software, needed to begin the making of the film. The actors would not be called for many weeks but the system was sufficiently up and running to, to enable the filmmakers to begin motion capturing stunts and aircraft within the Playa Vista volume, executing the latter using scaled models of the film's various helicopters and ships. James Cameron and Richard Bainham would hold these models in their hands and then fly them through the air to capture flight paths and maneuvers. Ramps on the stage enabled them to simulate aircraft ascents and descents. So again, throwing back to, you know, when we were kids and just sort of running around the yard with like planes and iron, like helicopters and monsters or whatever, like they did that, they motion captured that, they prevised and, you know, they used, they utilized that um, in the making of the film itself. What a beautiful full circle, you know. We even had two professional stunt helicopter pilots there to help us, Bainham recalled. They slapped our wrists if we didn't vector properly as we puppeteered aircraft through the scene, through the scene. And we could see the CG aircraft moving through the CG environment on the stage monitors. There you go. So it is motion captured, 100% real time all the time. All the flying vehicles from the agile Scorpion gunships to the massive dragon, which is Stephen Lang's um, kind of like mothership, main ship in that uh, oh, harrowing home tree attack scene. Uh, they were all captured by hand flying wireframe models. Cameron drew on his experience as a helicopter pilot to create accurate flight dynamics um, for these futuristic rotorcraft. From subtle wobbles in hover through high-performance aerobatics in battle, all the flying vehicles were manually performed to behave like real rotorcraft. With special attention to the sense of mass and momentum that is often missing from CG aircraft. See what I mean? Like that sense of the heft is a factor in the visuals. So if you didn't factor like the weight of the thing, it would visually, and again, you know, filmmaking is a visual and auditory medium, but it's, I would say, more instantly visual, you know. Um, I guess, no, they are 50-50, but anyway, it's a, it's a powerfully vis visual medium. And it is, it's subtle. Oh gosh, is it subtle uh, to some. But to me, it's just so, it's night and day to something like a, you know, something like a, a Star Wars uh, how, how a Star Wars creature is animated or how a Star Wars spaceship is animated is there's just so much engineering thinking and physicist thinking and that's not smoke blowing it's just provably uh, and visually identifiable as one of Cam Cameron's like trademarks which is the sense that he grounds what he puts on screen in the real world and I, I, it's so crazy like that that should even be something seen as special it's like well you're filming something that takes place in the real world and wouldn't you want whatever appears on screen to similarly be bound by the same laws of physics and the same lighting and like that makes perfect sense but it's seen as extraneous and seen as like oh wow, look at cameron being all like an unnecessarily like engineer thinking and uh, you know thinking about the physics of it it's like i i love and light but i think it's just the basics it's like if you want it to be real then 
please apply reality to it because again you know you'll see a lot of films where it's just a visual it's a visual effect there's no creature on screen there's no environment on screen it's it's it smacks to the eye and to the the visual palette if you will it smacks as a visual effect instead of uh something where you're looking at it and it's it's just real to the eye you know so um yeah that's important and and uh, Guillermo del Toro has a similar resonance with with that approach i just hate that it's even an option i hate that it's even seen as something i think i i don't want to repeat myself but it's the basic it's the ba the baseline and uh, i really connect with and respect that approach which is just how to do it <laughs> i think karen himself would say is like well there's how you do it and there's you're not and like for, he would point to other cg and i love this because he's not being arrogant he's just like yeah so take for example i don't know um the witcher you know, with the uh, Kikimura and stuff. Obviously, they have a reduced budget and stuff, and they have a reduced pipeline. But how the how that creature moves is not bound by physics. Like there are there are certain, you know, the velocity, like the snappiness and the fluidity of of some of the the moves that the, that creature makes are just it doesn't take into a doesn't actually take into account the muscle and the skeleton and whether or not its legs should be there to support that move. Like there's a whole level of physical thinking that goes into uh, uh, something like Avatar um, that they uh, they take time to reflect on screen and you can pick it up on screen. So yeah, and just look at the Marvel films where there's just, yeah, they'll throw in, you know, oh yeah, you know, a, a muscle jiggle and, you know, and, I'm not that I'm not bagging like they they like Thanos is incredibly impressive. However, Thanos is based on avatar tech that was developed and so, you know, just the main thing really is that uh without making any comparisons is like for some people it that does work. It's like that's all you need. Um with that with with other that's all that they feel the story needs and all that they feel the audience needs. And for a long time the audience starts to believe that that's all they need. And that's that's all they deserve. But then when, which is kind of twisted. I mean, I I think of this in my own life with, um, I guess to broaden it into like emotional intelligence and being mindful and being present with someone. Like these are things that are seen as like, wow, look at you. That's oh, I'm so, you know, that's uh, wow, to to so good that you invest in that and that you are that way. And and I say this of my fiance who who inspired this long ago in 2012. We talked about this about um how strange it is that what we see as just the basics is seen by many others as like, well, you know, that's how, wow, that's rare. And it, it makes me a bit sad because um, I, and then, oh yeah. And then that's almost kind really for people just to stop there, but often they're confronted by it to the point where, because they've been so starved of just higher quality and higher standards, they feel threatened. And this again is going to lead into my op-ed. They feel threatened where they need to say, because they're, they're so unfamiliar with that a higher level of quality that they've just been, you know, consuming content or, or living in a way which is of this certain level of the extent you, the extent to which you go to make it as, as good as possible, which I think in all, in honestly, like just look at the pipeline. I don't even have to, it's not even an opinion thing. It's like with the, the Disney and Marvel and there's, there's a, bit of a conveyor belt thing going where they have they have to hit certain you know planned things like you, there's no james cameron thing where you say no no we're delaying it which he has this beautiful privilege to do and he takes advantage of that privilege there's there there are going to be conversations in like guardians of the galaxy 3 where it's like i'm sorry we don't have time to improve that visual effect like we have a release date so and then some whatever they do and they just they make it go they make it work in some crunchy way or whatever and then that's that whereas it's just it's not it's anathema to, to someone like james cameron to to allow that because it is just a compromise it's one compromise leads to many leads to many and he's just the least compromising creator and i think subconsciously beneath all the hatred he gets which let's examine that it's you're confronted it's as simple as that by um and that's sad because you can, it's fine to not resonate with it and to say it's unnecessary, you know, that's okay. But then to threaten and then to belittle and to mock just because you yourself haven't 
you need you feel the need to defend your um thing that you're defending because it's on some level you 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 recognize that it's like mediocre like it's not as extensively attentively made but you can't confront that and you need to maintain that that sort of baseline unquestioned notion that it is the best and it's the best and they put the most effort into it blah blah, blah so that anyone who looks like they're doing more than that you're either threatened by or you belittle as unnecessary um and that's the danger of not really knowing how how like the real standards and that's you know you'll hear about it out of coming out of relationships they'll be like well you know i actually didn't you know very thinly drawn veil but the parallel here with ray and i it's like before meeting Ray, I, I just knew people to be very surface level and yeah, full of, you know, they were just quick to anger, quick to feeling threatened, quick to feeling all these things. And I had sort of been so exposed to that, that I actually thought that that was the norm with relationships and for example, and people. Um, and then, you know, someone just comes around who's like, yeah, no, this is just of me to, to make this my standard, to make this the level to which I want to, like a, like a high quality, and this is what I say, I said to my friend Reese the other day, I was like, you're a high quality human being because you prioritize being a good human being and, and, and um, pushing yourself to be better and better. And you surround yourself with people who aren't threatened by that because people who are threatened by that, they bring you down and they make you, it's the crab in a bucket, theory or analogy it's to, to for people who don't know it's like when you have a bunch of crabs in a bucket one tries to get out the others are confronted by the other person almost getting out that they drag them back in so they just with their pincers they just say no 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 don't confront us with how we're imprisoned um because you being outside like in view of us reminding us that there's a cage reminding us that there's that there's a bucket um we don't like that and so rather than push that person out, help them get out or whatever, they'll, they'd actually rather bring them down to their level and not be confronted. So whenever something stands, again, it, look at it just from a bird's eye view, whenever something stands outside the circle, which is, um, the Latin is eccentric. So centro, central, uh, circle, X outside of, you know? So that's when you see people getting labeled like some often um james cameron is labeled as this eccentric dude with quote-unquote like well not quote-unquote it's true lots of money and lots of clout and um this work ethic that in the i think the abyss and also uh, um was it aliens i think it was aliens where the british film crew you know they took their their breaks you know with like their tea time and stuff and he was frustrated because he was like this is, um, yeah, this is my film set and we need to work. And they were like, sorry, union, we have to, and you know, this, like I get the union thing, but it's like, he was so excited. And, and like he, in the past, Cameron would get super duper like angry. He would like swear and stuff. But now I think he's, he's, he's leveled out, but there's no loss of that fire and that determination. He probably just phrases himself differently. Instead of yelling, he'll just go, well, you know, this is how I believe that the film will improve. Uh, and this is the shot that I want to get. I think he does probably, I mean, I don't know, I can't speak. Maybe I'll have to at some point speak with someone who's actually worked on it and get direct feedback from his like directing style of nowadays. But it's it smacks to me that he, um, and it, it, it vibes for me that he would be someone who wouldn't yeah he, he wouldn't stand for just like okay well all right well i'm outside of what you know i'm outside of your pace of how you do this and the standards at which you'd lax to and kind of coast at um but that's not him and i i, I use an adage that i i heard from him um about you know you you plan so astronomically high for success that you fail ahead of everyone else's success, you know? And I love that phrasing because, uh, you know, time's ticking. We have limited time on the planet and why not make the most of it with uh, being yourself to the fullest extent and to the best version of yourself that you can be and whatever you create, you know, developing it to the fullest extent and letting it be the best it can be. So, and that's, 
at the like the pulsing heart of Avatar and James Cameron. Um, I'm saying James James Cameron because I call him Jim here and here and there on like posts and stuff. The beating heart of Avatar and James is the same. Uh, Jim's heart has always just been like everything. He just puts all of himself into what he does. It's it's visual. It's not even like a fanboy thing. It's you can discernibly see it. It's in his um, certainly reflected in his box office numbers cumulatively as the person who has made the most number of number one films, which is you know Avatar and Titanic. Like that's still a title he personally holds, even if uh, Endgame um, just before the ten year anniversary of it being number one for ten years. Um, coming in and uh, tipping over into, you know, which is now it's going to be interesting to see this superhero era, you know, confronted again, we're going to, we're going to see how that goes, but I strongly believe that what Avatar and James Cameron taps into that, that functions below any kind of conveyor belt sort of filmmaking or, and remember, I'm not like shitting like, I enjoy Avatar. I, I enjoy the Marvel films for what they are. But they're no avatar um, in terms of levels of detail. Remember, this isn't like a subjective thing. I'm just talking about the length, the, like the measurable objective um, processes and extra steps and time spent on these films. Those they are objectively different. So that's what I mean when I say they're no avatar. And for me personally, the longer you spend on something purposefully, not in in a kind of wankery kind of way or in a procrastinative kind of way. The longer you spend on something with the genuine earnest interest in making it the best version of itself it can be, the better it becomes. And I uh, I love, I mean, again, I also, like everyone around, everyone has like limited time on the planet, so why not? And this is what I say to Ray, and I phrase myself just as waffly, and I say, you've ruined the idea of any other women <laughs> because it's like you are just the best and you apply yourself just, in and of who you are, not as like an effort, but you have decided to live as a quality human being with a beautiful heart and a beautiful soul and looking after yourself, beautiful inner and outer in every way, you know? And so it's like, why not spend your time? And that's how, why I proposed to her, you know? <laughs> why not? And that's why we, we're drawn to what we're drawn to. Like with Avatar, that's why it's my number one over Star Wars, over Lord of the Rings, over any of these, because, um, with Tolkien, for example, I think Tolkien and James Cameron would have been schoolmates, I think, um, because uh, they would have uh, related on that idea of, well, you know, mythopoeia, which is the creating of myths and like paracosm, you know, like the creating of a fictional universe, which I'm doing with the quantum myth, uh, creating a mythological universe. You can check it out if you want. Um, that's, yeah, it's something that like, it takes time and it, and that's why they would raise him in that engineering side, Tolkien on that scholarly side. See how there's like the fantasy and the adventure and everything. It almost comes as a side effect. Like there's, there's a pretty strong theory that I mostly lean into actually with Tolkien that he like the story just came as this byproduct of his love for nature and his love for friendship. And so those, and his love for languages and, and history. So all of that, were his driving things, and then the story just fell out of that. And and you'll see with with Jim, he'll he'll say in an interview, and it's true. He he, uh, Titanic came to him as a byproduct uh, of wanting to go down to the wreck. <laughs> he just he was curious scientifically, and he's like, oh, well, I had to put a, together a movie pitch for them to allow me to take a sub, you know, down there. And uh, he wrote the romance story as a byproduct, as a side effect of wanting to just visit the wreck. And with Avatar, it was something that, um, again, this similar to the quantum myth with me, it's this, uh, you know, universe where he can express everything he ever really wants to talk about. And he, and he has said that about Avatar. And hence, he's making these uh, Godfather-themed, in terms of that family saga aspect, um, sequels that'll build on each other and uh, follow these kids, which we did with the Harry Potter films, uh, we saw them grow up on screen and, you know, Bailey Bass and Trinity Bliss and Dwayne Evans, uh, Jack Champion, Brighton Dalton. Um, I think I'm, that's everyone. Uh, and just seeing them, you know, develop. And I just, yeah, I really cherish, and I love nature myself as well. And nature's full of examples of 
beauty revealing itself self-sustainingly over time, not in some whiz-bang way, just gradually like, you know, flowers coming in and out of season, but then also the, the, the grove of flowers spreading and, you know, I'm, and I don't even care if it comes across as like hippy dippy or whatever, you know. So it's, yeah, Avatar harnesses that the, the older love, the older, I would say even older than myth, which nature comes before myth. There was nature before myth. And it leans into that and it taps into myth, of course. But uh, the curiosity of this engineer man, um, this illustrator, this imaginative Canadian dude with like a really hard headed sense of like, this is. You know, and what he's doing for the film, and we haven't even talked about that. What he what he does, you know, innovating innovation wise, as a byproduct of him wanting to see something on screen. He's like, well, if the tools aren't there, we're gonna create it. And he once said, you know, we push the envelope, it pushed back. <laughs> we pushed again, it pushed back some more. And I remember those lines from the, you know, um, yeah, the behind the scenes that he's had, you know. Um, but speaking of behind the scenes. Um, there's at some point going to be a beautiful documentary uh, of Avatar 2, and I will very much cherish that. That'll be a that'll be a good time. Radio. Um, but yeah, let's finish this thing and then um, this excerpt, and then I'll dive into the op-ed. Um, speaking of, you know, showing appreciation for people behind the scenes. Um, from subtle wobbles in hover through high, high performance and aerobatics in battle, all the flying vehicles were manually performed to behave like real rotorcraft, with special attention to the sense of mass and momentum that is often missing from CG aircraft. Later, this captured motion would be turned into highly realistic animation with articulation of the rotor systems and flight control surfaces. These duties were divided between Weta and ILM, who were both tagged in some recent Avatar um, podcast posts. Congratulations, ILM, on getting verified because you weren't verified for a while. That's so cool on Instagram. Um, with the latter as an ILM, taking many of the hard surface model CG scenes later in the production. So, uh, steep learning curve is the past system. Yeah. Um, yeah. The collaboration between Weta and ILM makes me makes my heart smile, definitely. Um, I'm going to see if there's any potential comments around, just to see if I can read those. That's lovely. By the way, if I can thank you um, uh, on the show, someone gave another award to the one to the to the wonderful community. Honestly, at uh, um, reddit.com forward slash r forward slash avatar, your kindred people right after my own heart. So love you all, <laughs> and to the two people watching, hello. Um, Sending you good vibes, definitely. Okay, so I suppose we'll dive into the op-ed, but first of all, I do want to thank them, so I'll just narrate. Thank you so much for your wonderful and kind award, exclamation point. I am actually recording this while on the podcast itself, so I will link you to the timestamp, which, I don't know, yeah, 34 minutes in um, to when I shouted you out. This is all very meta. Have a great day, Albert. I don't know if you guys um, use the dictation feature on things. I have not been able to stop. I love dictation. Um, it just cut. It literally like cuts down. You so you do you dictate and then you go through fix a few things. So, uh, which I don't know. To when I shouted you out. Shouted you out. There we go. This is all very meta. Smiley face. Have a great day. Excellent. You got to do it sometimes, folks. Also, Reddit, the Reddit app. I'm not sponsored by Reddit or anything, but I highly recommend it. Um, I love to see it on the ascent and especially in the news nowadays with the, the whole Robin Hood thing. Um, I've, I should probably buy some stock in Reddit, actually. I, uh, they are a very kindred um, place to me because they put the focus on. Community building instead of any kind of... Uh, I, I've jumped back on all the social medias, but with Facebook, um, I, I jumped back actually after they uh, um, were the first to kick Trump off their platform. Um, I have so... I, I still do have lots of problems with Facebook, but that move was very important to me and others followed their example. And it was like the little tiny creak in the door that I needed to jump back in. It's only business though, so I don't provide... They, they'll 
the the site prompts me, but I don't provide any information, and it is just for you know to get the shows out, get people connected. So it's I'm very clear in my head about it. So uh, and so hopefully with the things like you know shouts and stuff like that, like across the different platforms, just to kind of get everyone in the same place. Um, I reckon that'll be rad. Um, and also another thing, please, as well as Reddit, um, streaming live uh, right now before we go into the op-ed, um, to Chrome, just using a webcam. It's fantastic for, for podcasting. You know, you just do it, and then later the MP4 generates right off of the site, drag that into Anchor, and then you're done. So if you're considering a podcast, like, that's the setup I highly recommend. It. No fuss, that's me. And I said it was going to be the launching off platform, but, you know, I want to touch on it, and then we can go from there into whatever other topics we did cover a bit though but here we go so my love for the quiet relaxed confidence of both avatars creators and community a recent post here reminded me of how internally frustrated i get with others bagging on avatar for no reason other than it is trendy to do so but something always stops me from feeling the need to lash back out when others lash out at me I choose to spare myself from the debates and continue to politely express why Avatar is worthwhile and, no pressure, suggest that anyone who disagrees would benefit from reconsidering their criticism. That's something that isn't noted enough, that Avatar fans don't lash out nearly as much as Marvel slash Star Wars fans, and insert any other kind of fandom that tends to attack Avatar, um, the Avatar community. We're genuinely happy with what we have. And scarcity has taught us appreciation in the intervening years between films one and two, which by the time it releases will be 13 years, I think. Yeah, something like that. 12 years, something like that. We haven't been constantly stimulated by regular Avatar content, series, books, film, and other, which has prompted us to really cherish and dive into what we do have which is in theme with the film. That teaches us to appreciate and protect Pandora on Earth, our own creatures, cultures, and environment that is right here, not in some far off galaxy. Whenever someone feels the need to uh, knock someone, not galaxy, isn't it in our own galaxy? Alpha Centauri, a far off planet. Whenever someone feels the need to knock someone down in order to feel tall, it speaks of their insecurity, that if they didn't do that, their beliefs and the thing they love would crumble, which would expose that their belief is in fact weaker because it's easily shaken. Doesn't sound like a lot of actual confidence to me. Like Cameron and his filmmaking style, I feel Avatar fans are resilient and not shaken by doubters and critics. And also, like Jim, the Avatar community is just quietly, self-sustainingly confident in the inherent worthwhileness and always relevant message and unparalleled artistry and ultra-detailed lore of Avatar. I'm grateful for that, for the insanely hardworking crew and cast of all upcoming Avatar projects, the sequels and the upcoming Ubisoft massive open-world role-playing game, PlayStation 5, Xbox, Series X, PC. Very excited about that. Third person, please. Oh, God. <laughs> Use the same assets as the film. <laughs> Ultra photorealistic. 2023 is my prediction for that one. Yeah, so I'm grateful for that, for all the insanely hardworking people for all of these Avatar projects. I'll see you all on Avatar Podcast Episode 2, which is recording right now. Um, TLDR, yeah. When, while other groups feel the need to be aggressive in order to feel like their favorite media slash beliefs are better than everyone else's and aren't threatened, um, Avatar fans are, con are content to quietly let the, wor the world of Avatar, its messages and its technological achievements and its ambitions speak for themselves. So uh, a shout out to you, Avatar Ace 12 um, for this lovely comment. This is nothing but the truth. I don't have premium, but here's the one award I, I can manage to give. And that's very kind of you. I'll just be like, P.S. Just shouted you out on the podcast at 40 minutes in. Smiley face. That's how to do it, folks. And, you know, I, I mean, I touched on... Oh. I touched on a few of those um, 
riffs there about uh, how we are very self-sustaining. I think it's it's taught us um, appreciation. It's taught us to cherish and to really savor what we do have. Um, it'll almost feel like when Avatar 2 comes out, it'll almost feel like the first bite of food you've taken after a fast, which is great, you know? And again, fasting teaches you to appreciate food. And it's like, it'll be like, ah, oh, you know that thing that happens in the back with your jaw? It's like, and you eat something sweet or have, have eat something after a while of not having eaten, it just sort of, ah, oh, that sort of um, ache that happens. I think that'll, it'll feel that way to see like a brand new trailer, for example, um, which if you remember from, <laughs> from uh, last year i uh i did say that there would be some kind of um event on the 16th of december last year to be like two years to go um in hindsight to have a two years to go event would i i think probably quite rightly draw a few slightly eye-rolly um headlines i would have loved it obviously i would have been passionately happy about it, promoted it and discussed it and everything. Um, I mean, obviously I went through some of my stuff with the worthwhileness of the podcast and I weighed that up and I came out of that kind of, you know, Galadriel type conflict of what to do. I came out of it serene and came out of it with like purpose and, you know, I found a good rhythm and I found a good setup and I'm clear, as I said, with uh, incorporating social media, even though I have lots of issues with it. Uh, it's to see it exclusively as something to funnel people to, not as a time waster, not as something deleterious for your health that leads you to avoid life or anything. So to have it firmly as a tool, not as a lifestyle, not as this place to propagate hate or anything, if it's just as a tool um, for you know promoting worthwhile content, which I, uh, because I just, inf I, I always, I can't help but infuse whatever I talk about. I'm sure you've picked up on that during this recording with my own life experiences and with just life in a broader sense, other than just the geek and nerd and, you know, that kind of sphere. I, I just, because they just, they don't I, exist isolated from each other, you know, they, um, they're connected and one informs the other. And I don't like when people don't, incorporate those discussions you know and the, the there are those layers there and i can't not speak about them because also to understand the various different layers behind something not only in the um symbolism sense and uh the thematics and the psychology and the spiritual aspects um uh then there's the scientific and then there's the you know avatar's a bit of a feast for this because it has so many of these um the ecological the sociological discourse that can be had based off of them you know the fantasy and the escapism um those come as cherries on top and i call avatar escapism meets activism you know or act escapism if you want something like that and i love that beautiful dichotomy and it works for both you know i've said this and i'll say it again why not is uh, avatar um you know when james cameron was Discussing the film in the early 2010s, uh, he mentioned that if he had made a documentary about the Amazon, it wouldn't have burst through um, as much as Avatar. It wouldn't have made the money that Avatar made because there's, as well as this, um, you know, conscious part of us that has some inherent connection to just the earth and its needs and our own needs. It's buried a lot often behind prejudices and preconceptions and, you know, learned, learned self-negligence, you know. And uh, he said, look, when I have something that I want to get across, that is this fusion of, you know, activism and escapism, um, the way to achieve that is, is, and it comes naturally. It's not like he 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 based it in a fantasy world just to achieve this end. No, it's that happened organically. Because um, he is, as you know, most of his stuff is actually pretty pretty grounded in, in the real world. Like with the Titanic thing, and then Terminator. You you know you remove those. It's it's set in like you know on Earth. You know, um, so his cinematic kind of palette is very much it's super duper grounded. So the 
fantasy aspect is is it's almost if you really were to zoom in on it and there's a lot of zooming enhance you know Stephen Lang I'm loving the avatar memes coming out too I could do that that's <laughs> great um but yeah if you zoom in there it's 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 real world stuff the the fantasy aspect comes very much incidentally and again I love that word byproduct of someone who um has this uh has this sense about how he's living and the choices he's making and like this what the world needs i think there's an urgency um to the message of our to how it's crafted is it takes its time because just like a really well beautifully put together like letter or appeal um you know or speech uh when it's when care is applied to it it can have a loss a lasting effect usually something again if you look at it in the physics way, it's like look at that, like that length of time that something spent being made, and then boom, the impact it has. It's like a, a yin and yang of that length of time. And that's what Avatar did, is it it was um first conceived in the 70s or whatever, and then first scripted, scriptmented in the 90s and shelved in the late 90s started active development in 2005 um and then we're talking about something where you know four years later you know it comes out and right after that, and that but see how like that length of time just that sheer oh you know how much thought and engineering and i'm probably cutting out a chunk of whole chunks of months and maybe even a year or so of just r d like that went into that and then that translates to the amount of effort generally I find, again, if the length of time spent is purposeful, um, uh, with I was thinking Jodorowsky with the Holy Mountain. I don't know how long that took to make, but it seems just by like visually, it's like oh wow, it would have taken so long to get those animals there and get those people there. So he and James Cameron also have that madman kind of aspect, controlled madman, you know, channeled madman aspect of. Um, of someone who uh, is like, this is what the shot needs. This is what this thing needs, and it's going to take however, however however long it takes, and we're going to get as many people in this shot as we need, you know. And that is just the highest form of art. Is it is literally it literally is elevating the art to the point of being more important than you know. Obviously, I'm sure he takes into account the health of his crew members now, especially nowadays, and like what their wants and needs are uh, compared to maybe in the 80s where he may have been a bit more brusque you know um but yeah 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 so that generally for me i i observe that the amount of effort and passion went in into into the art not the not anything with procrastination um if that's that amount of time is spent then you'll have at least that same length of time of a legacy and of gratitude and of moving the art form forward and pioneering new tools and stuff you know that's why if you just look at, um, I'll just say the Green Knight, for example, um, uh, with you know the A24 com film coming out, it's like, okay, I can, I can see that maybe having had a, maybe eight, nine months of development, uh, script writing, um, you know, and then going into filming is maybe four or five months of filming, and then visual effects is maybe maybe another 11 months, something like that, because uh, I don't know if there'll be that that complex of, it, of, of that shot. But yeah, smaller film, smaller scale, not necessarily smaller legacy, uh, which I'm also jumping in on myself and reminding myself of like Blair Witch Project, which may have been conceived pretty quickly, uh, filmed pretty quickly, and then had a long legacy. You know, that's uh, the exception that proves the rule, I suppose. But, um, but again, I think the reason why that had that, it's I think the constant here, um, the through line is is the effort. And the through line is that it is put towards the art. And there's no question that out there is getting their feet soaked wet, miserable, like in the, I'm just talking about the Blair Witch now, um, that they would have been like, you know what, fuck it, we're out here. We're, we're suffering for our art, I guess. We're, we're like, everything is going towards making this the most effective film that it can be. And then that, I think, even more than the length of time, I think length of time, I think James Cameron would say this is like, honestly, if I could do any of this faster, I would. 
it just so happens that based on what I want to achieve, uh, the tech that needs to be developed, uh, the underwater ca motion capture stuff, which every time I say that, I love that because that's a brand new realm of filmmaking. We will genuinely see shots in Avatar 2 that we will have never seen before. And he rises to that challenge of setting the standards higher and higher every time, which I admire, respect, and resonate with. And if you ever need someone, I'm so fucking working for you guys for free. <laughs> or rather, whatever I can do, blah, that would be rad to work with like people who actually are involved with these films. Social media, whatever, creative, blah, whatever. In some way to contribute to this worthwhile endeavor that they have going. Uh, I wrote an op-ed about Dune, actually, on this, uh, about how legacy, the idea of the amount of time it took to put into something, um, and, you know, Herbert did his research and everything. I, I didn't actually talk about the length of time it took reflecting that's something from this show from now that I'm sharing with you. But that op-ed talked about um, the power, and I want to shift into that about this as well, the power of, you know, passion and ideas and believing that we can rally around something um, more um, impactful than uh, just escapism, you know? One thing about the Marvel films is that they don't really have, um, even Star Wars has more of a message, I would say, than the Marvel films. The Marvel films have a message of a few um, very strong people will save us, you know, and that honestly is kind of pure escapism because uh, often it's the normal people in our lives uh, that and on ourselves that rescue ourselves. And I know you can extrapolate that into some, you know, it's like, well, Albert, if you remove the uh, superhero aspect, then we are talking about, um, you know, uh, just people, you know, and we do like to see their human sides. And, and it's like, yes, love and light, but we just think of the level of death. Like one thing I will say that Disney does sometimes is they'll just, they'll, it's almost in a, a box ticking way where they'll have a specific scene or a specific line of dialogue, which is like, see where insert, whatever diverse feminist, emotional, psychological, uh, philosophical, like they'll just have a couple of check boxes and then it just dips back up into ah oh, quippy jokes. Like it's the, the, the normal course of a Marvel film, which again, they're, they're consumable there. I, I enjoy them. I'm looking forward to fucking Dr. Strange. Um, my favorite Marvel character because he, he can go across dimensions and he's this, you know, acquainted with immortality type trans-dimensional rad dude. And I love that imaginative aspect of wherever he can go and um, the versions of reality he can enter into and stuff. And I'd love to see like versions of reality where he's like, oh, you know, um, uh, Doctor Strange is like a trans woman and a black person and a differently able person and uh you know what i mean like like that's the the power of 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 marvel is that it can expand into these dimensions and stuff um and that has pockets of relatability pockets though i would say that you can then you know for example with the joker like those i mean if marvel were to maybe take a leaf out of the joker's book and maybe do some deep dives into that that'd be interesting i think logan we're still in the Sony days, but that is is a character focus. And uh, even with certain like Black Widow, I don't know. We, we'll see. Maybe um, they've decided to go. But again, just from the previews, it doesn't seem so. I think they that normal kind of regular, the sort of baseline frequency of a Marvel film is entertainment, escapism, laugh, wow, you know? Whereas the baseline frequency of like an Avatar film is or AWE. Or nature, <laughs> um, uh, just technical marvel, which is just what you're watching. It just is. Um, but even actually, as my number three, I'll actually say, um, I mean, emotions. Like he, he, he cares about the emotions you feel when you're watching. You know. Um, but to really refine it, just so I'm not copying out, like think that the the the, the main kind of thematic and kind of vibe and pulse of, a, of, of an Avatar film is, um, yeah, wonder. It's that, that idea of wonder, that idea of adventure. And, and like, um, just that idea that you're seeing something brand new, you know, uh, and so 
magical and 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 they'll be a quip here and there like a, a joke here and there but they'll always feel natural to the character and you know it won't sort of be entirely obsessed with the idea of like i am a marvel film or i am this film it just authenticity there you go authenticity to the human condition to to what comes before myth which is nature uh to um you know family friends uh you know yeah creatures environments um everything is just portrayed authentically you know i think authenticity is is james cameron's calling card uh and i love that i think that speaks to all aspects and all realms of what he does him and his crew which i want to send good vibes to if any of you are watching and have come across this uh hi there i'm albert from canberra great to meet you and it is 8 a.m but i've been awake since 3 a.m because that waking up early life anyway um we didn't end up having that many avatar relevant questions but that's okay um and that's kind of cool that i can pop it out and hide it if i needed to or whatever um thank you keshav official for um letting me know about the audio i really appreciate that and to whoever who has uh, joined thank you also for joining um i'll do one final little check to see if there's any questions to answer on any of the posts i made if not that that is totally cool um i should remove that post which i said i would remove because we don't do the self promo um 59 minutes ago even though i said i would delete it three minutes ago that's okay so yeah sending love and good vibes to the uh the reddit family you know what i mean um i'm always taking screen captures of everything everything i like delete i take a screen capture of just in case and then probably delete later it's just like a temporary secondary measure that's like muscle memory now um i suppose we could do a quick search to see if there has been any news and imagine that it's like Albert's been talking all this time, and uh, oh, Avatar two poster, you know, released. So we'll just go Avatar James Cameron, because it won't just be about the sequels, folks, going forward. Um, da -da 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 -da. Mark Maron wrote a uh, article about visiting the um, Avatar studio. Um, oh, okay, cool. So Mark Maron and Kate Winslet describe it. So let's dive into the inside article. Just do a little skim. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay. Yeah, so this is Mark Marin. He said, he had me come down there to audition for something, to look at me or so, for something. Marin said, I had to go down there to that city he built, the Avatar City, and it was the weirdest thing. I walk in and he was like, we've got actors in here working all the time, flying around and stuff, so if you want to come into a set and we'll just do it. I was like, what the fuck is happening here? Um, so similarly, uh, Kate Winslet, she said, I lost track of how many he is making at once. I did two at once in tandem with him, so two and three. All my work was in, was in 2018. It's an extraordinary experience. You go into this huge aircraft hangar and anything is possible. You want to fly today? You want to do some spear fighting underwater? Sure, we'll do it. It was wonderful for me to be a part of such a well-oiled machine with such great artists and technicians. So... Oh, I just, uh, there we go. Okay, so Cameron is currently planning for follow-ups, etc. Winslet continued to say that over the years, Cameron has changed as a director and is thriving thanks to the time he has been given to make the sequels. So there you go, stuff we were riffing about. He's got a lot more time to make than he ever had with Titanic, he said. There's a process he's entered into, a rhythm that's really quite relaxed. He's so intricately connected with that entire world because he created it. So there's a confidence in him that breathes collaboration and conversation. Uh, the 45-year-old actor later said that on her first day on the set of the sequels, Cameron explained that many members of the crew had drunk the Kool-Aid, uh, so she should not be shocked if she caught them speaking the film's fictional Navi language to one another. She said, there is a pr there is a proper immersive experience. So I love the idea of people speaking Navi on, on, on set. Um, shout out to Kelutral as well. Um, a lovely kindred site. Uh, it means home tree in Nambi. Highly recommend them. Um, we recorded a show once. Um, who knows one day if we'll be able to release it because certain things were discussed that we cannot reveal yet. Um, once all the permissions are sort out and stuff, we'll probably, maybe, hopefully, maybe release it at some point. Um, and 
for the rest, folks, look, have an amazing weekend. And uh, the countdown is now returned to Instagram.com forward slash Avatar Podcast, which I, I'll do here and there. Um, and for any of you who actually follow along just the main podcast, um, you know, yeah, this is, I, I honestly think, I, I, I mean this empathetically, like, please start a podcast. It's a great chronicle of, of, a great way to kind of chronicle your, um, your engagement and relationship with, um, whatever you enjoy, whatever topic, you know, um, that come up. And that's why I just ended up doing this thing, which I probably wouldn't advise it. Maybe do some research show if you want to do whatever, but because I just decided to approach it in my own kind of idiosyncratic way is, yeah, I have the main show. And then anything that, any episode that like, oh, there's a, there's a core driving thing, then just as a courtesy, I'll just put it out on another feed. Um, would that I had the admin to be able to do everything. I, I have a lot to catch up with with, uh, with posting all of that to all the feeds. Um, I'll go as my energy and as my schedule allow. But uh, maybe I'll fill today actually with that, with just catching up and topping up various feeds and stuff. But uh, um, folks, once again, thank you. Uh, you've all been wonderful, whoever joined in. Um, have a good rest of your day. And until next time, bye for now.